0: looking at the parable of the ten virgins. There are five wise and five foolish. If you get to choose whether you're wise or foolish, I think most of us would choose wise. In fact, I'm not even going to ask who would choose foolish because I'm afraid hands would go up. (laughs) But Matthew 25, starting in verse 6, we see the, the virgins are gathered there. They have lamps. Some of them have oil. Some of them have extra oil. They are waiting for the bridegroom. And this was something that, you know, was commonplace. It was tradition in the Jewish circles there that, you know, the bridegroom would make them wait and he would show up and they would greet him. And it was just a powerful moment. So we're picking up here when the bridegroom gets there in verse 6 of Matthew 25. And I'm going to read clear through to verse 13. Listen with your hearts tonight. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, least there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. Verse 10. While they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready, say ready, Those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards, that afterwards in verse 11 is a sobering word there. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So there's uh, the situation that's unfolded here. We looked at all the parts of the virgin's coming, of them, uh, you know, waiting for the bridegroom. We talked about the difference between the wise and the foolish. If you didn't hear uh, that explanation, I encourage you to get online and listen to it. But basically, the wise were those who built a relationship with Jesus Christ. How's your relationship with Jesus Christ? Believer, how's your love life? Because we need to be in love with him. Remember, as we're looking through the book of Revelation, what I've been teaching on Sundays was that, you know, that one church, the Apostles Church, the first church, they lost their love. They lost their love for Jesus. If you're in any kind of relationship or marriage for any duration of time, friendships, you, you have to maintain them. And so here's the bridegroom, he's coming. The wise were those who had a personal relationship with Jesus. The foolish were those who were religious, but they were just not in a relationship with Christ. How many realize that describes multitudes in our generation? They're religious, they go to church, They, they have morals, they believe, you know, the word of God, they believe in Jesus, but they don't know him the wise, and the foolish. In verse 6, we pick up here, and at midnight, say midnight, Midnight. the cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Let's unpack that, verse 6. The bridegroom showed up at midnight. You know, how many people would consider themselves night owls? No. Do you guys go to bed early? I mean, i stay up. I, I don't want to miss anything. I don't want I'm up, you know. And like, if you're a night owl, midnight is nothing. Come on, you know, like midnight, that's when I just start to get a little bit tired. But, you know, I also like the mornings, too. I like to get up. I like to hear the birds chirp. I like to see the sunrise. But, you know, really, I'm more of a night person. These guys only had to stay up till midnight. That's not very late, and they should have been able to stay up until midnight. Why? Because that that was the drill. They knew the bridegroom could come at any time. So to just to go there and to have oil, they needed to be prepared to stay up, and midnight wasn't very late. But that's when the bridegroom showed up. You know, just realize something about midnight. Midnight is the darkest part of the night. Think about that. They couldn't stay up. They all fell asleep, and they didn't even last till midnight. Midnight being the darkest part of the night. The implication here is that, you know, it wasn't the hour so much, but the withering effect of the darkness that lulls even the most incredible believer to sleep. I want you to understand that darkness has a withering effect on us. The darkness that's all around us in this world in this generation, even in the churches, churches departing from the word of God and teaching fables and myth, churches departing from the move of the spirit and just, you know, having a a God bless me, let's get together club. That darkness will wear you out. That darkness has a withering effect and it can lull even the most devout believer to sleep. And that's what we see here. These guys should have been able to stay up. That that was what they came for. Yet somehow, someway, all 10 of them, the wise and the foolish, are asleep. And that's something I want you to pick up there. You know, those who had a relationship with Jesus fell asleep, just like the ones who were religious fell asleep. And and, you know, that might be like, oh, you know, I would never fall asleep. I would never, you know, when we start doing that, we really start to sound like Peter. Lord, though everybody else leave you? I'll be the only one. I'm ready to die for you. And Peter's like, you know, saying all this stuff. And Jesus says before the rooster crows three times, Pete, you're going to deny me. No, 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 not me, Lord. So all of us have the capability of falling asleep, All of us, no matter how devout, no matter how sincere, the withering effect of the darkness can take a toll on us. Now, I want you to pick up something here. They were all sleeping. Still, somebody was watching. You say, well, how do you know that? It said, behold, a cry was heard. Did you hear that? A lot of people don't pick that up. Well, you know, the bridegroom must have just, like, kicked the door or been singing. No, a cry was heard. Somebody woke them up. Somebody woke up the wise and the foolish, but they cried out, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. To me, this is a picture of the Holy Spirit. You know, we don't have to walk around scared we're going to miss it, scared we're going to blow it, scared we're, we're, you know, we're going to be in the bathroom at that time. We're to you know, No, the Holy Spirit is well able to keep us and to get us awake when we're even asleep. A cry was heard, amen. If you're tormented by the idea of missing out or missing it or blowing it, listen to me, the Holy Ghost is not gonna let that happen. Greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world, amen. And so stay in love with Jesus and stay close to Jesus. And even if the darkness lulls you to sleep, realize the Holy Spirit has got you. The cry was heard, they all woke up. Now in verse seven shows... uh, how the 10 sleeping virgins respond. Now listen to verse 7. Then all, say all, all "All those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. So 10 out of 10 woke up. (laughs) You know, I I don't know who woke up first or if some people had to be shaken or somebody needed to get hit with a bucket of water, but 10 out of 10 woke up. That's great that the bridegroom is coming. They're excited now and they're all awake. 10 out of 10 trimmed their lamps. I want you to see that. That's great that they had lamps and that they were lit and still burning. But listen, five immediately realized that they'd been spiritually presumptuous. You see, they were presumptuous in the sense where they didn't bring extra oil. No, if you're squared away, if you're type A personality, you're anal retentive, you pack extra everything. You know, the type of person got, you know, uh, ladies, my grandmother had stuff in her purse for every occasion. She was all about 90 pounds, and her purse was probably 80, right? Like, Army Rangers can barely carry what Nana's purse, you know what I mean? We went in there, there was everything you could possibly need, just prepared. And these guys were presumptuous in that they, they just took what they thought would just be enough. And they wake up and they you know, they get shook and they light their lamps and it's a little bit later maybe than they thought and they burned a little more oil than they should have and they immediately realize they've been presumptuous and undisciplined and now they find themselves unprepared to meet the Lord. You see, when we're presumptuous and undisciplined in our walk, in maintaining our love life with Jesus, in fulfilling the call of God on our lives, that's presumptuousness. Are you surviving out there? I know it's not Sunday, but I'm backed up. I haven't preached in a while here, so. Like, take it easy, Pastor. If this thing gets set off, I'm going to have to stop and turn it off, so just bear with me. But they were unprepared to meet the Lord, and we've got to be attentive enough, and we've got to be humble enough, and and we, we can't get arrogant, we can't get sloppy, because we want to be prepared to meet Jesus. Are you looking for his coming? Yes. He, he could have came today. He, well, you know, the, the moon's turning all different colors because of the smoke. And, you know, it's like, oh, it's a blood moon. I don't know what kind of moon it is. It's a smoke moon. But, you know, there are going to be signs. And we ta- that, that's what this whole series is about, the signs of Jesus' coming. And what he said would be the signs of his coming. You remember when we started in Matthew 24? We're up to here now, and these guys saw all the signs, and they even got ready, and they even stood up, and they even had their lamps, but they were unprepared to meet the Lord. Discipline often seems too costly and sometimes even unnecessary because it has to be paid in advance. Discipline. Discipline is the last thing we want to do. We want to take it easy. We want to do the minimum. How many realize there are so many in our generation in the workforce that just want to do the minimum? Come on, do you work with anybody like that? You're pulling their weight, and this guy's weight, and that guy's weight, and you got, you know, 20% of the people doing 80% of the work, and the rest of them are just dead wood. Come on, I've been, I I grew up working construction and doing stuff. There were some people who, you know, got it done and some people who tried to avoid getting it done. And understand, you know, these guys are unprepared and they they didn't discipline themselves. Why? Because discipline seems so costly. It had to be paid in advance. You know, Mike Tyson said, discipline is doing what you hate to do like you love it. One of the greatest heavyweights who ever lived. And if you listen to him, he hated training. He hated sit-ups. He hated running. But he did it all. And when he got in the ring, he made it look easy. Navy SEALs say the only easy day was yesterday. Navy SEALs say train hard, fight easy. These are good paradigms for us to get as Christians. Because, you know, we can learn some discipline from some of these people who have succeeded to a high level. The the, the principles of discipline are the same, and we need to grab hold of them. So don't run from discipline. Don't think it's too costly. Discipline always, you know, seems too costly, and, and it doesn't seem fun until the moment of truth, until the heat of the battle. Then being undisciplined seems like the highest cost you could ever pay. When they got up to trim their lamps and realized they didn't have enough oil, the undiscipline and the presumptuousness of their walk was the highest price that they could ever pay. Literally, their souls were in jeopardy. The time to get right with God is not when you step into eternity, the time to learn to pray is not when all hell is breaking loose. The time to learn to fight is not when the enemy is at the gate. Discipline will help us to be prepared to meet the Lord. Now, verse 8. Shows in their desperation, the foolish ask the wise to meet their need. Now they, they didn't they didn't even balk here. It said, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. You know what? All pride was aside, all you know, uh self-sufficiency was aside, and immediately in their lack and in their panic, they reach out to the wise and they just, you know, kind of forcefully ask, give us some of yours. This is there's some powerful principles in here today. You know, it shows the desperation of the foolish that, you know, they're they're in this spot, and now they know they're in trouble, and uh, they ask for the oil from the wise. And, you know, you might think, well, why didn't the wise just share their oil? Anybody? Any sharers out there? A lot of you are just like, you know, like, think. you know, if you're a sharer or if you're a giver, then you would think, yeah, well, let's split what I got. Let's see if it's going to be enough. You know what? The wise didn't share their oil, and I, and I spent a lot of time before the Lord trying to understand this. They didn't share their oil because their oil was not theirs to give away. Because a person's lack of spiritual preparation cannot be made up at another's expense. If you're not ready to meet Jesus, no matter how ready I am to meet Jesus, I can't make you ready to meet Jesus. If you don't want to accept Jesus, no matter how much I love Jesus, I can't make you love Jesus. Are you getting this? Give us some of yours. Well, it's not mine to give away because it's something I built with Jesus, and and it really belongs to the two of us. It's intimacy, and I can't give you my intimacy. Only you can purchase intimacy for yourself. Our parents, our pastors, our elders, our family, our closest friends can all point us towards the Lord, but they can't have a relationship with the Lord for us. See, as teenagers, you know, like when you're young and stuff or when, when you're a child, you know, your parents, your grandparents, that godly heritage, maybe somebody brought you to church. How many got brought to church when they were little? Maybe your grandparents. I remember my Nana dragging me into church and, you know, and I was misbehaving and I get my ear pulled or something. And, you know, you come, there comes a point where you're not a kid anymore and you got to take yourself to church. But people can point you in the right direction, but they can't have a relationship with Jesus for you. What, the, what was lacking in the virgins uh, that had no oil was that they didn't, have, uh, they didn't invest the time to get to know the Lord. And he's going to tell them, I don't know you. And that wasn't his fault. That was their fault. They didn't take the time to get to know the Lord. Now they had lack, and they were presumptuous and spiritually unprepared. And at that moment, think about the situation there for them. What a moment of desperation. Multitudes of religious people who mock and ignore and persecute and marginalize those who are born again, those who love Jesus will regret it someday. Do you know religious people think a sold-out, born-again, spiritful Christians are weirdos? Come on, Wednesday night. Oh, settle down. Take it easy. You're getting too radical. You're a little too crazy with this. Take a breath. Live a little. Stop trying to be Mrs. Goody-two-shoes. Right? Religious people. Because they just go, and they do their ritual, and they take their stuff, and they have their ceremony, but they don't have a relationship, and your relationship to them is weird. But listen to me. Someday, they're going to see those who took the time to love Jesus and serve Jesus and get to know Jesus, and they're going to be really sorry that they didn't. Now, I don't say that to gloat. I say that to, to, you know, force us to our knees to pray for people who are religious and lost because that's a sad situation. And on the day of judgment, uh, it's gonna be an anxious moment for some people. In fact, I think about people who think they're good, who think they're saved, who think they're godly, who feel like, you know, God's gonna let me in, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus. I cringe in my soul. It makes me anxious to think about that moment, the type of moment that these five foolish virgins were experiencing right there multitudes of religious people will wish they didn't mock the true believers, but that they would have become one themselves. It was the day of the Lord. Jesus came and their lamps were going out because they didn't have enough oil and they didn't get time they didn't take the time to get to know Jesus listen to verse 9 but the wise answered so give us some of yours here's the answer no least there should not be enough for you uh, for us and you but rather go to those who sell and buy for yourselves now This is interesting here, again, to the person who thinks, why didn't they share their oil? Because it wasn't theirs to give away. And they knew if they tried to give it away, there might not be enough for them. This is the outworking of the story here. But the foolish are sent to the vendors to purchase their own. Now, I'm not sure exactly who the vendors are, but maybe the vendors would be those who churches that preach the gospel, that teach uh, how to be born again, that have a move of the Holy Spirit. Where does somebody get a relationship with Jesus? Well, how are they going to hear unless they have a preacher? And, and you know, the, 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 the preaching of the word and the move of the spirit and the, the, uh, the exercise of the gifts of the body of Christ happen in the church. You are the smartest people in Dutchess County on Wednesday night right now. Turn to somebody and say, You look smart. You know why? Because you're in church right now, sitting under the word, drinking in the anointing and developing your relationship with Jesus. Amen? So go to the vendors. Go get your own. It's not ours to give away. We can't share what we built with Jesus with you. It doesn't work that way. How horrible it would be to be spiritually unprepared in that moment. The pressure, the anxiety, the insecurity it would create in the five foolish is absolutely awful. And I say this in response to people who are going to find themselves unprepared on the day of the Lord. I say this. We are wise to take an honest inventory of our own souls. (laughs) You say, well, what does that mean, Pastor? I want to flesh it out for you in a minute, but you and I need to not just kind of not engage our minds, not engage our spirits, not be introspective to the point where we just take things for granted. Why? Because that's presumptuous. But we need to take an honest inventory of your souls. You know, I said, how's your how's your love life? How's your relationship with Jesus? That's the kind of thing that all of us need to ask ourselves those questions. And if we'll do that, it shows wisdom. Now, the apostle Paul recommended this very thing, and he he describes it in 2 Corinthians 13, 5 through 6. If you're taking notes tonight. Write this down, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 through 6. I want you to spend some time in it and let it just just shake your soul up until, you know, all of us get the point. It says here in 2 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 5, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? But I expect that you will realize that we ourselves did not fail the test. Are you getting this? Paul says, examine yourself. Check yourself out. Test yourself. To see what? To see if you're a nice person, to see if you're uh, giving, to see if you're religious. No, to see if you're in the faith, to see if you're born again. To see if you know Jesus and he knows you. Take an honest inventory of your soul. Are you born again? Did you receive Christ? Did you repent of your sin? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you walking with the Lord? No one's going to come back next Wednesday. So this is something that may not be comfortable in the moment to, uh, you know, have the Lord evaluate us or have ourselves be introspective and ask the Holy Spirit. You know, King David was great at this. He, he would say, you know, test me and know me. Try me, Lord. See if there be any wicked way in me. H- how many know David was, you know, imperfect in every way, but at the same time he was humble enough to entertain the possibility that he was imperfect? The proud think, no, I'm great, I'm perfect, I'm fine, I'm the, I'm the example, I'm the exception. But the humble say, test me, try me, know me. Am I good, Lord? Have you ever said that to the Lord? Am I good, Lord? Am I I saved, Jesus? Do you know me? It's good stuff. It's something we all need to do, and it's wisdom. Paul's counsel to those who claim to be believers was test yourself and prove that you are believers. Why? So that you can be proven to be spiritually authentic. Make sure that's you, know Jesus, and he knows you. If the five foolish virgins would have come to God in transparency before the hour of his coming and considered the scriptures with the right heart and invited the Holy Spirit to search them, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit would have prepared them to be ready for the bridegroom. This is why I want to encourage you that you're not going to miss it, that you're not going to get tricked, that you're not going to be out to lunch when Jesus comes for you. Why? Because if you stay close to him and fill with the Holy Spirit, he's going to keep you for that hour. Amen. But it's the people who don't want anything to do with that, and they don't want anything to do with God, and they want their ritual, and they want their ceremony, and they don't want anything more. Wow. A lot of us were like that before we got born again. Just, man, once a week, one hour, leave me alone, give me communion, don't talk too long, and I'm out. And there's more to having a relationship with Jesus than that. God help us if we get born again and then begin to act like that. Oh, when is this going to end? How long is this going to go? Oh, now this person's got the microphone. That song again, how many times are you going to sing that Verse 10 is the worst possible outcome for any soul. The five foolish virgins miss his coming. He shows up, and they're not there to meet him. Ouch. They went. They stayed up. They fell asleep like everybody else. They did have some oil. They did have lamps. They were religious. They were watching for the coming of the Lord, but somehow, some way, they weren't there when he showed up. It's the worst-case scenario. You might think to yourself, well, why didn't there again? Why didn't Jesus just wait for them? All right, they're going to get some oil. All right, we'll chill a little bit. We'll hang out. How are you wise virgins doing? Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna just wait. Well, Jesus, why didn't you just wait for them? You know what? In every way, the Lord does wait for us. In every way, the Lord is patient with us. In every way, the Lord does sacrifice for us. You know, if you just stop and think what it took for each of us as individuals to get saved, and the goodness, and the patience, and the long-suffering of God to wait for us, how, how many knuckleheads are out there? Raise your hand. I praise God. Amen. A lot of humble people. Knuckleheads, right? How many chances did we have? Most of us didn't get saved on the first tug. But he was patient. He was persistent. He was waiting for us. So when you look at this and say, you know, well, why didn't he just wait for them? Listen, because God will not strive with man forever, and God will not give chance after chance forever. There comes a time, even with grace, where it runs out. And this life ends and eternity begins. Wow. So God is patient, and God does wait for us, and we should be so thankful for that, but we should never play Russian roulette with the goodness of God. Never play the someday game with your soul. Someday I'll seek God. Someday I'll ask forgiveness. Someday I'll get saved. Someday I'll answer the call of God in my life. Someday I'll forgive those people who hurt me. Someday I'll pray. Someday I'll go to church. Someday I'll stop living in sin. Don't play the someday game. The five foolish virgins played the someday game and someday came when they were not ready and they were unprepared and now they were spiritually in trouble. Jesus shows up and they're not there. For a lot of people, someday never comes. Listen to Luke 12:17 through 21. Here was someone who was playing the someday game and it did not work out. Luke 12, starting in verse 17. And he began to think to himself. Now, this was a rich guy who has had a huge crop and a huge harvest, and he couldn't even contain it, so he's going to build his barns bigger. Listen to this. And he began to think of himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? And he said... This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and I will store all my grain and my goods there. And I will say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. And as for all that you have prepared, who will own it now? Such is the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich in his relation to God. Please notice the term that Jesus uses, that God uses. He says fool, because it's really foolish to play the someday game, to play Russian roulette with your soul, to be spiritually presumptuous. It makes us the biggest fools. He pronounces the, the title of foolishness over them because they lived a good life and they lived a life of ease, but they didn't prepare themselves for eternity. Sobering. Verse 10 ends with the wedding feast beginning. You know, I love this. And they went in. No, and they went to buy, and the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. What a glorious day it's going to be for all of us who are walking with the Lord when he takes us home and we sit down for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen? (laughs) Woo! I don't know what I'm more excited about, you know, seeing Jesus, obviously, being safe in eternity, obviously, but that we get to eat in heaven. That's good news. (laughs) I know some Italians that wouldn't want to go to heaven if you didn't eat but we're going to sit down and we're going to feast with the Lord at the marriage supper of the Lamb, amen? And, and these guys were ready and they had oil and they had relationship and the doors opened and the bridegroom took them in and they sat down for eternity and they feasted with the Lord. What a beautiful thing. Now, that's great for the five wise, but for the five foolish, it's traumatic. Why? Because the door was shut. It's an interesting thing here, when you look at the text there, they went in uh, with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Now, I don't know about you, but the, the older I've gotten, the more mileage I have in life, you know, being shut out of anything is traumatic. Anybody? Let's, let's look at some examples. Did you ever get shut out of your house? You go up to the door, and, the, and your, your key's gone. You brought the wrong keys. You got no key. Now you're standing outside. It's traumatic. How about anybody get locked? Some people are raising their hands. This is not the altar call. Just wait. <laughs> Some people get locked out of their car. Have you ever seen this? In fact, how many people ever got locked out of their car? I've seen people who were locked out of their cars and their babies were still in the car. I've seen police officers have to break glass to get in. What? That's traumatic. That's being locked out of anything is traumatic. You know, uh, you're locked out of your office and security walks you out and you're, you're done. It's too close to home for some people. But being locked out is not a good feeling. It's a traumatic thing. But to be locked out of heaven for eternity, separated from God is the absolute worst that could ever happen to anyone. I don't wish it on, you know, the worst person or the worst enemy. You know, like you think about all the scoundrels throughout history and society and even in our own generation. You know what? And and I don't wish that they would die and go to hell. I wish that every single one of them would repent. And there's some wicked people in the earth doing wicked things. And you know what? My prayer is not judge him, Lord, and let him burn for eternity. Oh, God, never, never have a heart like that. I know people who who have said things like that. I hope you burn for eternity. Uh, Or they say, you should go to hell. And I'm like, uh, as a Christian in love with Jesus, you and I, that, that should hurt us to even hear it. But here's the situation: they're unprepared, they don't have the oil, uh, you know, and, and the, the the door is shut, and they weren't ready. Verse eleven through twelve show the plight of those who refuse to live a life that prepares them for eternity. The, you know, this is this is kind of interesting here, uh, how. You know, the, the, the ones go in and the door is shut. The door didn't get left open for the latecomers. You know, in our society, everybody comes in late. In church, a lot of people come in late. You know, when we're up here leading worship and you're watching people come in for the last song. It's a little quiet. Not the Wednesday night meat eaters club, not you guys. But you know, you, you see people just late for everything. And these guys were late, and they say, Lord, Lord, open up to us. Now, those who miss the bridegroom, those who are not prepared for eternity will still want to gain entrance to heaven. I want you to think about that for a second. No one's going to say, ah, well, I blew it. Ah, well, I missed it. Ah, well, I lived the life I wanted to live. Everybody, when they die, will want to go to heaven. Everybody, when they die, will have wished they knew Jesus. Everyone who scoffed at believers and called them crazy, wacko, religious nutjobs will wish that they were one themselves when they step into eternity. Lord, Lord, open up to us. When did they come? Notice when they come afterwards. The five foolish virgins come afterwards. They weren't ready. They didn't go in with the bridegroom. Now the door's shut. Lord, Lord, open up to us. They show up afterwards. It reminds me of that expression, a day late and a dollar short. Any, anyone ever feel like that in life? Missed it by that much. Just short this much. And that happens in life, but we can't let that happen to us in eternity. The stakes are too high. It's too important. We've got to look for his coming. We've got to stay in love with him. We've got to be born again. And we've got to be prepared. A day late and a dollar short for eternity is just not acceptable. After we die, it's too late to accept Jesus. Do you know this? Oh, well, you know, when I see him, I'll just accept him then. Oh, when, you know, at the end of my life, on my deathbed, you know, that's playing Russian roulette with your soul. But when we die, it's too late to accept Jesus. It's too late to be born again. It's too late to live life over again, to serve the purposes of God. It's too late. As long as we draw breath, as long as we're alive, as long as our heart's beating, it's not too late. And for anyone who's alive, it's not too late. But once we die, it's too late. First, it is appointed once unto man to die, then the judgment. There's no such thing as purgatory. Purgatory was a religious construct of the Middle Ages to dupe people out of money so the church could fleece the ignorant. Yeah, you heard it here. There's no purgatory. There's no in-between. There's heaven or hell, and the difference is a relationship with Jesus Christ. But when we die, it's too late. To rectify the choices we made here on earth. Hebrews 9, 27 through 28. And it is appointed unto man once to die. Here it is. But after that, the judgment. Listen to verse 28. So Christ was offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. He's coming. He's coming for those who are looking for him, amen? Jesus' answer to them is devastating and soul-rending. I do not know you. It really doesn't matter who you know. It all boils down to who knows you. Well, I know this person, and I know that person, and I met a famous person, and I shook hands with the president. doesn't matter. I talked to this sports star, and I talked to that, and I got Derek Jeter to sign my forehead doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who we know. It matters who knows us. Jesus said to the answer, the question, Lord, Lord, open up to us. I don't know you. I tell you the truth. I don't know you. Verse 13 is the final warning of this parable. Verse 13 says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. We can know the time, we can know the season, we can see the signs falling in place, but nobody knows the day or the hour. That's why we have to stay prepared, not be presumptuous, stay in love with Jesus, and look for His coming. Let's bow our heads right now. Father, we just thank you tonight for... These parables that you've tucked in your word, uh, these parables of preparedness, that we would examine ourselves and look at the way we spend our time and our energy. And Father, I pray that this time of us being in the word and on, unpacking this parable would just uh, focus us, God, to to spend our time and our energy on what's really important. It's for me tonight. It's for every one of us here. All of us need to make adjustments. Nobody's got it perfect, but we thank you, Lord God, for reminding us so that we don't show up without lamps or without oil or without relationship, but help us to prioritize the things that produce eternal results. I ask it in Jesus' name.